TSF family, did you know that we have a TSF shop on our website? And in it, we have Primal Wounds packages, a Mother Wound mini course, and a Mother Wound master course, which is a six-week self-paced course packed with meditations, prompts, videos, and guidance. Having gone through a lot of these shadow work processes, we wanted to give y'all as much support as possible to do this important work as you listen to the podcast. Head to www.thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop for more details. Want to gift a package to a friend or yourself this holiday season? Use the code HOLIDAY22 now through the end of the year for 20% off anything in our store. Hello, TSF family. We wanted to start off by saying thank you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and for your hard work to love yourself more and for your feedback. Can you believe it's been three years that we've been doing this spiritual fix and it has been such a beautiful labor of love for Anna and me. We have loved doing this work. We've loved hearing from you and we love exploring ourselves and each other alongside our listeners. We wanted to put out the call for three ways that you can help support us to support you. One, we would love you to leave us a review on iTunes or follow us on Spotify. Two, drop us an email and let us know how much the podcast means to you. And three, you can donate monthly or even just once to our PayPal patronage. Every little bit helps and we are so grateful to those of you who have donated already. Thank you. You help make this podcast possible. Thanks, y'all. You can go to our website, www.thisspiritualfix.com for information on how to pledge as well as to email us. Hello and welcome to episode 16, season 2 of This Spiritual Fix. Today we are talking about light work, shadow work, dart work, all the works. This spiritual fix. Two mystical mamas hacking the self-help game. With Anna Stromquist and Christina Wilson. Hello, Anna. Hey, Christina. How's it going? Good. I kind of miss that we're not in person. I, but we will be for some the next few episodes we record. But we do. I, we we I, will. We will. You look very shiny and happy on Zoom here. <laughs> I probably look shiny because my house doesn't have a lot of air conditioning. And so I'm like, I'm a little bit hot. It's all good. But it's like, it's just been such a hot summer. You look glowing. Oh, oh, thank you. I'm going to take it as I'm going to receive that. I'm going to receive that. I'm glowing. I'm glowing. You're glowing. Yeah. You look very summer sprite. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. I definitely feel like I'm like, yeah, I feel like that. I feel like that. I'll just take that. Let's take it and run with it. How's it going? How's the summer going for you? How's how's your as okay? So, in sobriety, when people are in sobriety, like people who are in recovery, will say to each other, "How's your sobriety?" And it's like a common question that people apparently ask. So I'm going to ask you that question, Anna. How's how's your sobriety? How's your drama my drama trying? Well, mm-hmm. <laughs> funny, funny you should ask. During my PMDD days, I fell knee deep into the drama triangle. <laughs> knee deep because my husband 
bless his heart. He said he was going to be home and there was a miscommunication about when he was going to be home and to an abandonment wound person that is just like the worst thing ever because you feel alone and you're abandoned and you're forgotten and you don't know where this person is and not answering the phone. And I was knee deep in drama and I couldn't even get out of it. I'm like, I know what I'm doing, but I can't get out of it. Yeah. Um, I, I, I would assume that's how an addict feels when they're just like, fuck it, I'm going to just drink, you know, drink this glass of wine or whatever. I don't know. I, I was knee deep in it. I felt better the next day. And then this morning I started rolling in a story that I have with a person. I have a history with the person and I started rolling in the story about missing this person and wanting to reach out to this person. And I just started like yo-yoing in my mind, just connecting with this person. And I thought, this is drama triangle. There's no cheese at the end of this tunnel. I do not want to associate with this person. And, and then I was like, okay, what was that first step in the 12 steps? Give it to God. Right. I think, I think somewhere in the first couple steps is like, give it to God. And then I thought, you know what, maybe giving it to God, isn't something you do just once. Like you don't just one time declare I'm giving this to my higher power. I'm giving this to God. Maybe it's something you have to continually do till you get out of the habit. So I was like, okay, My addiction to drama is bigger than me. So I need something bigger than me to take it out of my life. So I'm giving this to God. And I was driving to run an errand. And the whole time I was driving, I'm like, I'm giving my addiction to drama to God. I'm giving my addiction to drama to God. I just kept doing it. I was like, I don't know if I'm supposed to do it this way. Maybe it's a one-time deal. Maybe it's a continuous deal. I think with my brain, it has to be continuous. I just kept giving it to God, you know, declaring that I was giving this to God because it was beyond me. And believe it or not, I ran my errand. When my errand was done, I, I stopped rolling in that obsession of reaching out to the person. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. And, and I know it might happen again, but I think I'll just keep giving it to God. However, I perceive that to be. Yeah. Yeah. What I, about you? How's your sobriety? <laughs> oh my God. It was, it was bad this week. Cause I was sick. Oh, nothing, nothing like putting you in victim consciousness than illness, right? Oh yeah. And I'm pretty sure if I had to put it down, I feel like the sickness part of it was like, it was all about being a rescuer, right? Because every single time that I like felt like I I just like, I, I was in that place where I wasn't surrendering, which is like, for me, that's like the juice is like surrender. If you just surrender to motherhood and if you just surrender to all this, that's, that's fine. But because I was sick, I was so, so resistant to just surrendering. And so I was like, I should be in bed. Like, why am I not surrendering to my illness? Why am I going and helping my kids? Why am I going and doing this? And I was just like, I'm just creating so much drama in my family by not just like getting my ass in fucking bed. Or if I'm not getting my ass in bed, just accepting and surrendering to the fact that I'm not in bed. And yet I had so much resistance to either one of them. Like when I was sitting in bed, I felt guilty about it. And then when I was not sitting in bed, I was angry. I was like the angry victim. And I was like, this, this is such bullshit. Like I'm just sitting between the two. And it wasn't until I was just like on the couch one day. And I was just like, I was like, this is body betrayal. This is all my body betrayal stuff. I'm rarely ever sick. And it seems like every summer I come into this and I need to just like surrender to the fact that I'm sick or surrender to the fact that like, I'm afraid of death. And like, I'm afraid of what my body is going to do. And I just like, I sat there and I was just like, yep, I am best friends with death. And then it was like, all of a sudden my brain flipped all of a sudden, even, even the person, like I, I, I even reached out for help 
at that point. Like I had never thought to even reach out for help, even though I have all these support, like all these mentors and things like that who do energetic releases, but I couldn't do it on myself. I didn't do it on myself. I didn't ask my support team to come and help me. I don't even think I asked you, Anna. Like, I think I may have asked you at the beginning of the week. But the other thing that I I had this like total realization about today, in addition to that, like after I kind of got through that. By the way, me not reaching out to do it was my own. I need to not rescue. Let me just wait for her to ask. Did you know I was cognizant of that, by the way? Oh, I didn't know that. And that's awesome yeah. that you did that because that's exactly. I was just like, yeah. I was like, I want to step in and like offer to do a release or something. But I was like, nope, don't rescue. If she wants it, she will ask. She knows how to ask for her needs. Yep. And so that's, that's, that was the trick, right? Was that like, I wasn't even like, sometimes we're just not even in a state where we can ask for help. And it's only when we learn the lesson that we're able to ask, actually ask for help and it's, and it's able to, to flip everything around. So it's like that, that's a really big lesson. I feel like it's like, if you're sur- if you really do surrender to the experience, then you can learn it quickly and then you can easily get your support team in. But if you're resisting the lesson, if you're resisting the work, then you can't even think of your support team or maybe you, or maybe you bypass and you go straight to your support team. And then all of a sudden it just, you know, th- that can kind of work, but it doesn't, it doesn't, provide the insight level. But I also had this other totally amazing realization today, which I want to share is that I, I saw this, this TikTok, and it was about understimulation. And it was like, these are all symptoms of being understimulated. One of them and for neurodiverse people. And one of them was sitting in front of the fridge and you're looking for something to satisfy you, yet you can't find anything that can satisfy you. Another one was that feeling of like, thinking that you have something to do and you're like, oh my God, I have all these things to do. And yet you can't actually, like, it's not that you can't do any of them. It's just like, you're just like overwhelmed with anxiety about the things that you're supposed to be doing at that point in time. Right. And it was a really great thing. And I wish I could remember the other three or four that she had done. But what I started to realize was that in some ways I feel like I'm in a very continual state of understimulation and, and what, you know, for, for anybody who is, for me, who's learning about neurodiversity and being ADHD, it's all about like dopamine hits, but it's all about stimulation. And, you know, you go looking for food or like I put on chapstick, like I just put on chapstick because that's stimulating to me. Like I'm constantly trying to stimulate myself. And for me, the drama triangle is one of the most stimulating things I can do. So if I can create drama, then all of a sudden it fills the gap of understimulation, right? Like if all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I'm like, oh my God, I have all these projects. Can I do them all? That is a form of stimulation. And then if I start to beat myself up about it, if I kind of continue on that inner drama triangle, then that's an even better form of stimulation. And so what I started to realize is that like, I've come to the conclusion that I'm, I was talking, I I was talking with my husband about it and we were talking about how stimulation almost isn't the word it's engagement, right? It's like, it's like being able to be totally engaged in something and your whole body's there and your mind's there. And you're like, you're listening to music and you're jamming out with it. And you're just like, I'm here and I can just focus on this and I can get in this state. And And I I feel alive. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And I was like, okay, so now I'm actually coming to the conclusion that no matter what I'm doing, I need to like, I have this capacity to engage with the world that like, I haven't even fucking begun to look at, right? Like if, if my body wants that much engagement and stimulation, then why don't I just fucking jump off this cliff 
and become the most engaged person ever. And maybe that's manic, but I don't think so. Like, I don't know. I feel like it's like, I feel like so much of us suffer from understimulation, especially if you're neurodiverse. But I think in other cases too, it's like, you don't want to go to a job where you're bored. You don't want to, you know, go and play with this. It's like you go and you play with your kids, but if you're not fully engaged with it, then you're, then you're resisting it. Right. So it's like, it's like being unengaged is like a form of resistance that is experienced everywhere in your life. And it's like, all of a sudden, if you just like go tits to the wall, balls to the wall, whatever you want to say, (laughs) and are just like, I'm going to fucking play these Barbies like nobody's fucking business right now. Or or, or I'm going to, I'm going to, I was cleaning an RV in like 90 degree fucking heat today. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to turn up my fucking music and I'm going to go balls to the wall with enjoyment. I love that. You know what? Yeah, because it's all about being present and aware and giving it your 100%. And sometimes we can only do that. You know, I set timers all the time. Like my kids wanted me to play freeze tag with them today. And I literally put a timer on my watch for 15 minutes because I'm like, I can do anything for 15 minutes. It's just 15 (laughs) minutes. So I put a timer on my phone for 15 minutes. I'm like, I will play tag with them. I am going to run until my heart feels like it's fucking bursting out of my chest. I'm going to laugh. I'm going to play. I'm going to have so much fun. And when the 15 minutes is over, I'm fucking done. That's it. That's so perfect. That's so perfect. And I did it. And I ran and my husband, we were at a splash park and I start running through the, I'm like the only adult running fully clothed through all the sprinkler, the like fountain heads. Yeah. And, and like, I'm sure some parents were like, what the fuck? And my husband was like, oh my God, you're crazy. But I was like, no, for 15 minutes, I'm giving my 100% to my kids. I am. And when it was over, I was like, I'm fucking done. And I'm going home and I'm going to go watch my, my TV show. <laughs> but I mean, that's that's what it is. Like, I feel like if we get that intensity out of our system, then the drama triangle is no longer the form of stimulation that we need. Yes. And it also really reminds me of Ram Das. I talked in the last episodes that Ram Das has been visiting me from beyond the grave. But beyond that, I've been watching a lot of his lectures because I just love him. And one of the things he said is that we are always in a constant process of waking up. If you can just take a few steps back, you're going to see that you are in a process of waking up and falling asleep, waking up and falling asleep. He's like, take a few steps back to see that in the bigger picture of it all, you are waking up. So like we might just have these little spurts of like, okay, 15 minutes, I'm going to give it my all cleaning this trailer. 15 minutes, I'm going to give it all my all playing freeze tag in the water with my kids. And then I'm going to turn into automatic and I'm going to go back to sleep and I'm going to be drugged by my phone and Netflix and whatever. But like, if you can take another step back and watch it from an even like further back witness, you can watch that it's a whole process of sleeping, waking up, sleeping, waking up is a process of waking up. And that's very comforting. That is comforting. I really like that. And it, and it, I don't know. I feel like those bite-sized chunks of like intensely being in the moment and just being like, I'm fucking here and I'm alive. Like maybe you just increased your tolerance for that over time. And maybe it starts with five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 minutes. And then maybe tomorrow it's 20 minutes or maybe next year it's 20 minutes, you know, but like that, whatever that is, that that is like, I feel like that's a medicine for what ails so many of us that we are just perpetually un- understimulated by our and are underengaged by everything. You know, we're right. we're distracted and we have a whole bunch of other stuff going on, but it's like we need those moments of just fucking intensity. Yeah, I'll do that when I watch when I watch dishes. I'll put on salsa music really loud 
or in my headphones, Alexa set timer for 10 minutes. And I'm like, for 10 minutes, I'm going to give my fucking life to these dishes. <laughs> and I just, and I just go for it. And I'm like shocked how much you can clean a kitchen in 10 minutes. When you really put your hundred percent, it's like you can shift time or something. I don't know, but I can get a lot done in 10 minutes. Yeah. And that's amazing. And that's, you know, that kind of speaks to what we talked about with the four agreements. It's like, do your best, do your best for 10 minute sprints at a time, maybe only once a day, but do your best in that time period. And then maybe eventually you'll be able to do it all the time, but you know, just, and if you're not, and even if you're not just observe it from a few steps back and be like, all right, I'm going to fall asleep now. And I'm watching that I am falling asleep and that's part of waking up. Yeah. Awesome. 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 Yeah. Okay. (laughs) Oh no. We're talking about a very interesting topic today, which is called light work, shadow work, dark work, and agape. I originally wanted to call the episode light work, shadow work, dark work, and random acts of kindness, but Archangel Michael visited me in a dream. I woke up at 3 a.m. and I swear he was like shaking me out of my dream. He's like, Anna, it's not going to be random acts of kindness. And I'm like, okay. He's like, it's going to be agape. And then I was guided to read the Corinthians 1.13 today, which was about agape love, which was like, no offense to anyone who did do Corinthians 1 at your wedding as like your talk, but it's like a super, super cheesy thing that you hear at wet weddings, which is like, love is patient, love is kind, yada, yada. And we're going to get into all that in a little bit, but he basically guided me to that passage in the Bible, which is funny because he knows I'm not a big fan of, of organized <laughs> religion, but he did. And we're going to get into all of that today. <laughs> and so what I want to talk about real quick is there is light work and there is shadow work. Now we're a lot of us in this now age, new age are aware of light work and shadow work. Light work is like, I'm going to focus on the positive. I'm going to manifest. I'm going to bring all this good stuff into me. And then shadow work is like, okay, well, I'm also going to put on my altar. You know, I have my altar of like my light stuff, my crystals and my guru or whatever. I'm also going to put my enemy, that political leader that I hate or whoever, because your shadow work is also equally as important as your light work in the sense that it's the, the dark, deep stuff of you that you have to dig out. Like Christina did a really great anal- analogy of it is like, if you're trying to fill up a bathtub, wasn't it the bathtub you yeah. used? Yeah. And you, the faucet is like the water coming in. You could say that's the light work. That's the light work. Yep. And then yeah. the, what did you say was the dark and, work? And then the, the drain, work? the drain is the shadow work is where you're processing the stuff that's just been accumulating. Like it's like you're trying to put clean water in. So you have to get rid of the old water. So you need a drain to drain out the shitty water. Exactly. And the water, fresh water to come in. So basically they're equally an opposite important, right? That's your analogy. Yep. Yep. And then where does the dark work fit into that analogy? Is the dark work, the Drano? Yes. (laughs) So the the dark work. Yeah. yeah. So then the dark work, which we is probably not as well known. The dark work is, is the removal of some major shit on you that you might not even know. And we can call this entities. We can call this ghosts. We can call this implants. We can call it curses. It is an energetic attachment on your aura that you might not even know about. And you might need a third party to review, to remove. Yeah. And we're going to pretend in this bathtub analogy, the faucet is light as water bringing down clean water mm-hmm. and Drano is taking out the clog. So you can actually flush shit out anyways. Yeah, so Drano so- would be the dark work with third party. Yeah. And I think it's really important. I feel like what comes to mind is that like, it's not binary or tertiary. It's not like, it's not like there aren't 
distinct lines between these things. Like if you notice, like shadow is always a mixture of light and dark, right? And dark is just like the darkest parts of the shadow work. Maybe you like it, depending on your analysis or your the way that you define it, like the darkness could be the darkest parts of the shadow work and the light can can maybe have a little bit of shadow in it. Like it's like, I know with the Drano analogy and the drain analogy, it kind of, it, it feels like it's like, oh, well, this is only filling it up. But it's just like places in the collective unconscious, like the place that kind of sits in, in the high, there's always this spectrum. And there's the spectrum of the really great, beautiful, creative energy part of it. And then it goes all the way down to the hellish, nasty, gnarled, twisting parts of it. And it's like, it's a whole just massive spectrum here. And, and I'm super excited to talk about this. Yes. The fourth thing. And then the fourth thing is agape, which is your goodwill, general love and goodwill for all beings, universal love. So that is kind of like, if we want to say that dark work has an opposite, so we could say that agape is the opposite of dark work in the sense that agape is the love that you have that you then spill out onto the world. Sweet. <laughs> all right. What I love about meditation, what I love about breath work is it can do all four of these at the same time. Like sometimes your meditation is light work. It's filling you up with gratitude and insight and this and that. And sometimes your meditation is shadow work. It's showing you, it's putting you face to face with your inner demons. And sometimes it's dark work. Sometimes you're removing deep ancestral patterns and, and implants and all sorts of juicy, gnarly crap off of you. And sometimes it's agape. Sometimes you transmute your meditation into general love and kindness for all beings. So I just want to start with, if you are a meditator or if you are a breath worker, meaning you do different kinds of holotropic breathing, mm -hmm. you've probably experienced all four of these already, but didn't really like necessarily classify them yeah classify them okay yeah yeah i just yeah. wanted to go into like that the, yeah no i think it's it's like meditation and breath work are the means to the end right they're the car that takes you to wherever you want to go and you can drive to hell or you can drive to heaven you probably can't do it right but for those of you who don't have an established practice this is going to be a good episode and for those of you who do have an established practice but are just kind of curious like what exactly am i doing there when i'm meditating we're going to talk about some of the stuff that might be happening sweet Okay. So number one, we're talking about in light work, in the umbrella of light work, we'll say that light work is basically the stuff that brings you up higher. It brings you higher into the light. It, you're, you know, you're filled up with more goodness, we could say in the whole duality, uh, the duality <laughs> language. And the first one I want to talk about is gratitude. So everyone says that gratitude is one of the strongest energies that you can have. And basically gratitude is a form of light work. You can convert a lot of things into brighter and lighter just through gratitude. We have a whole episode on that one, which is episode three of season one. Yeah. And I think, I think with gratitude, I really like gratitude because I feel like it's one of those things that as a kid, you just kind of learn to say things thank you. And then as you get older, you start to learn to understand what gratitude is. But for me, I still use thank you as my gateway to gratitude. You know, like I feel like me saying thank you for something, there's like a polite societal thing of being like, hey, thank you. And then for other and then as I get deeper and deeper into the feeling of gratitude, then I start to get I start to tap like really quickly into like unconditional love and just like this enveloping sense of like, oh my God, I'm so grateful. Like I'm just so, it becomes an all embodying experience for me. But for me, I use thank you to get there. And everybody else mm -hmm. may have a different way of getting into the deepest parts of gratitude. But if you haven't explored gratitude as 
a to its depths or its breadths in terms of everything. You can have a gratitude journal and then like meditate on it and that's amazing. But I challenge everyone here to like see how deep they can go into their gratitude practices, like how encompassing, because what you'll notice is that gratitude sits very close to all these other feelings in, and so you can quickly move to compassion. You can click, quickly move to, you know, unconditional love. Like they're all like really, really close in there and gratitude's a great way to get there. Yeah. And like a nice little simple exercise is, is when you are feeling gratitude to sit in that energy and just say to yourself, what would this feel like if I made it a little bit bigger? How would this feel if I let it expand a little wider? And then you can just sit in that and bask in that. And it will just kind of grow on its own if you just kind of play with it. Like, what's it like for if I, I'm feeling, you know, on a scale, <laughs> I'm making this up. I'm always the medical person here, turning it into something measurable. Okay, on a scale of zero to 10, I'm only really feeling a one right now of gratitude. What would it feel like to be a two? Mm-hmm. What would a three feel like? You know, and, and kind of playing with that. Sometimes that can help you kind of go higher in it too. Yeah, awesome. Okay, number two. Grace. Grace is, it's a lot of things depending on different religions, but we're going to get rid of all of those definitions and we're going to go back to what we originally talked about again in episode three of season one, in which we talked about grace as the light of it's it's the being filled with light basically right as you can think of it is that you empty yourself you humble yourself you you basically prostrate yourself before whatever divine aspect of yourself or the universe or whatever it is and you say you know you recognize that you can be nothing in just the instant you can declare i am nothing and you can say i am nothing and what will happen and what can happen in that practice is that you just all of a sudden get filled up with insight or that feeling of unconditional love that we're talking about or that feeling of just like oh fuck this is so much bigger than me like i can be this vessel for just all of all of this light i can't i can't explain it in any other way i feel like sometimes some people say it's like oh the grace of god means it's just the path is just a little bit more lubricated it's going to be like a little bit easier to shift through this process right now and i'm being filled up but the process that we get into and what i think is important with that is it is the process of being empty to be a vessel for Mm -hmm. a higher frequency yeah it's a lot about humility yeah humility yeah all right, number three, another another practice of light could very well be angels. That would be connecting with uh, the archangels or your guardian angels and God or whatever you perceive God to be, whether that be, you know, you, you let's say you interpret Buddha as a God or Jesus as a God, et cetera, like whatever in your higher, you know, in the higher light levels, we could say, to just associate with them, converse with them, connect with them. And something we learned from our shaman, which I think is important is if you are connecting, you always just establish, I want to connect with a being of light, with an angel of light. Like if you're just like, oh, I want to talk to an angel or I want to connect with an angel. There's a lot of different kinds of angels out there mm-hmm. and I'm not trying to be scary, but <laughs> <laughs> you want to make sure you connect with an angel, a being of light and just like preface it with, I only want to be connected to beings of light, but with my angels of light. Yeah. Because there are some trickster spirits out there, guys. Right. Right. There's a lot of spiritual energy out there that can pretend to be 
something it's not. There's just, there's, so, so basically the way that I like to think of it is that there are a million different paths that go to the same place. Some of them are a little bit longer and more tortuous than others, not church, not torturous, but like a little bit more winding than others. And those trickster energies tend to take you on a different type of journey. And that Mm -hmm. journey can be difficult for a human experience. Right. So if you connecting to, if you're making the intention to only connect to angels or beings that are serving the light, I think you'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. We just don't want you to go into any, as what I call fodder dimensions. Like we don't need to go there. We don't need to go to any of the the dimensions where things get too hard. And, And one way to recognize something is that angels, first of all, angels believe in human free will and they are never going to pressure you to make a decision. They're always going to support whatever decision you make. So if you're hearing or connecting with some sort of being that is, you know, telling you the end of the world is coming or is scaring you or is telling you there's a right or wrong way to be or right or wrong decision to make, just, you're not probably speaking to a being of light because the beings of light love you and are here to serve you and support you. And they know that you're here on this earth to live out the human experience And you've been like, you took one for the team. You decided to go in the human body and have this experience. And they're fully supporting that. They're never going to be like, so-and-so is a bad person. Stay away from so-and-so. They're never going to tell you like, they're not going to fill your mind up with scary, paranoid stuff. If you're hearing scary, paranoid stuff, you're probably not connecting to an angel of light. Yep. Yep. Okay. Number four, Christina. Uh, paramis. The paramis. The paramis is what I like to call the character builders. <laughs> They're the buckets of character building, if you want to think of it in a different way. They are the perfections and they are part of um, the Buddhist. It's one of the teachings of the Buddha is to say that there are paramis, which are the 10 perfections. So the 10 paramis are generosity, virtue, renunciation, wisdom, energy or right energy, like where do you actually spend your time? Where are you choosing to focus your energy and attention, patience or tolerance, truthfulness, resolve, which means right effort, like strong determination, loving kindness, which can be called meta as well, and equanimity. And these are 10 buckets of character development that you can go in. And in some lives, it's gonna be really easy for you to do some things. Like if you have a life as a monk or a nun, then you can do renunciation and you can fill up that bucket as much as you want. And then maybe the next one, you are a householder who has a shit ton of money and you can become generous right in a different way because you have lots of resources so it's a multi-lifetime experience because we talk a lot about reincarnation here on the spiritual fix and it's you know it's a process of just saying i'm gonna put a little bit of of stuff into all of my different buckets in this lifetime and i'm gonna build my character in that way another aspect of light work is mantra so some of these like holy sanskrit mantras you could say is light work because it's it's kind of raising your level, raising your level up, up, up. Now you could choose a mantra, which is like, I am shattering all illusions. Well, we could say that that one would be a shadow work mantra, but you know, I feel like 95, 99% of mantras are light work. But if you are picking, picking a very destructive one, like may all hindrances be shattered in my world or 
you know, I am destroying all untruths or something like that, that would be a shadow work mantra. But most of these mantras are light work. Right. And they're called affirmations when they're, I, I'd say that a normal, maybe that's wrong, but I feel like most people who use mantras may say that they're affirmations and those affirmations are and every day in every way I'm getting him better and better, or I am determined I am enough. to live my <laughs> I am enough. I'm determined to live my best life. Things like that. Yeah. And so when you're when you're saying things to raise your vibration, so to speak, we could call those light work processes. When you're using them to dismantle your ego, that would be a shadow work process. That ties very nicely into the next topic, which is the shadow work practices. Sweet. So so we're going to talk about five shadow work practices. So just to reiterate, shadow work practices are similar to light practices in that they raise your vibration, but not without first traveling to the depths of your own inner hell. And the reason why that's important is because we don't want to encourage spiritual bypass. We don't want to encourage you to just hang out in the light work area. I know some people who do, and let me tell you, they're not fun to be around because they are too perfect. <laughs> shadow work makes the biggest impact on your day-to-day -day life. In the shadow work realm, I'm going to say my first technique I want to talk about is the past life regression. Now you might think, oh, past life regression, I'm going to get some popcorn and some candy and I'm going to chill out. And I'm going to see what past lives I wore. Oh, was I a prostitute in Taiwan? Oh, was I a pharaoh in Egypt? Oh, was I Marilyn Monroe? Okay, no. Past life regression, when it's actually done properly, it's not a popcorn and theater entertainment. Maybe your first couple regressions are just kind of fun and entertaining just to be like, oh, this is cool. I used to be this. I used to be that. But when a past life regression is done properly, it is actually shadow work. Why? Because we carry with us crap from the past into this life. And it's what colors us, what colors our world now and today. So when you're doing true past life regression, like when you're over the whole novelty of it, entertainment aspect of it, it is deep work. It is shadow work. It is hard, hard, hard to see. And confronting that and understanding it, it is transformational. Would you, Chris, do you want to give an example or two of how a past life regression really was shadow work for you? I can give some. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. You go if you have okay. one in mind. Okay, I have one in mind, which was I started to notice that I had internalized misogyny, meaning I had an internal hatred of women, which is weird because I'm a woman, but I did. Where did this come from? I was raised by two hippie feminists, okay? Let's just put it out there. From day one, I was raised by feminists. My father is one of the biggest feminists I've ever met. He's an artist. And my mother was similarly one. It's like, I'm like looking at my life. I'm like, I didn't get it in this life. Like, where the hell did this come from? Mm -hmm. So I gave myself a past life regression. And I went back into time. And I was in Mesopotamia really, really, really long time ago. Obviously, because that's, that's not a place anymore. There was streets made out of dirt. So funny story. So Anna and I were recording this episode. And when we went back to review it, this story was missing magically. And then despite our best efforts to coordinate, we didn't actually come up with the insert to be able to tell you the story after the fact. What we did was we believed the story was triggering for some people and maybe more than one person listening. And so we honored the serendipity of this and kept the story out. So in essence, the story was about how Anna was attacked and blamed herself 
versus blaming the persecutors. And in this particular case, she blamed herself for being a woman. In the past, we found errors like this that have a purpose and a meaning beyond our understanding. So we're going to honor that. Back to the episode. And I nursed those wounds. And I was doing that regression. Let me tell you, I was crying as I felt that raw human emotion of self-hate for being born a woman. And and I cried and I felt the pain and I went deep into that pain because that's what shadow work is. It's not about just understanding the story. It's about moving through the pain and feeling it in its entirety. And even if it didn't really happen, even if I just imagined that story, it didn't matter because it brought me to where I needed to be, which was completely feeling that palpable feeling in me of self-hatred for being a woman. And I sat with it. And then when I was done feeling it, I shifted towards light work and I started doing Ho'oponopono, which is forgiveness. And I just kept forgiving me over and over and over again and forgiving me and thanking me for the hatred I had felt. And I kept doing it over and over again. And then I pictured all six of those teenage boys and I forgave each of them. And then I forgave the whole life circumstances that brought me into being a, a widow, a beggar woman. I, ha- I forgave all that. And when I came out of that regression, I feel like I stopped seeing men as such a threat because I stopped hating myself. <laughs> so that's an example of a past life regression as a shadow work exercise. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great one. I used to be really afraid of flying. Uh, fly- being afraid of flying has a lot to do with control too. And I went back to a past life where I died on a plane crash and had to kind of come to that conclusion of like, I needed to relinquish, like I needed to have died in that particular way in that particular crash. And that does not mean that I'm going, it's going to happen again. It's all that kind of stuff. So it can be something that is deep like Anna's, or it can be something that's, you know, more maybe surface level, but also very practical of, Hey, I want to be able to get on a plane and not like grip the sides with white knuckles the whole time, stuff like that. You know, it's, it's, it's a really great tool for that. Yeah. And we'll put a link to the past life regressionist, also our shaman in the show notes, because both of those can really help anyone listening who's curious about experiencing those past life regressions. Yep. Awesome. So the next one is the RTT, Christina. Mm -hmm. Okay. So RTT is a specific form of rapid transformational therapy, and it is a form of hypnosis that was pioneered and taught by Marissa Peer, who is someone who we talk about a lot on this podcast, but it is effectively a form of hypnosis in which you have a session and you, you try and get to the root of whatever it is that, that you're going to, you go into a regressive state, you go into a hypnotic state, and then you basically find memories, whether from this life or past lives, most likely from this life that get to the heart of why you have your specific issue. And it could be misandry, hatred of men. It could be for me, mine was my not surrendering to being my feminine in my divine feminine form. It can be all sorts of things, but the idea is that in the regression, you, you come to the conclusion and you kind of untie a bunch of the knots and then you receive a, a hypnotic track to play for the 21 days after that. And in that 21 days, you have a chance to really cement in what you learned and, and, and allow yourself to kind of transcend the kind, that kind of root cause issue. And, and it's rapid and it's transformational because 21 days ain't that long and transformational because 
what I noticed when I did mine was that I started to behave differently without even recognizing it. It was like, it was like some program in my subconscious had changed for the better. Like even when I stopped listening to the regressions, even after the 21 days was over, I still listen to them now every once in a while, but like, it, it was like, it was like some program was just operating differently and my reactions just changed without me being at all conscious of it, which is why that was such a massive, it's such a, a great way of transforming your shadow and really transmuting it into something that is useful because that shadow sits a lot in the subconscious. And if you're able to address it at the subconscious level, it's a more meaningful and lasting change. All right. So another form of shadow work, which I'll talk about now is catharsis or dynamic meditation. Essentially Osho has a dynamic meditation. You can find videos of it on YouTube to go through the step-by-step process, or you can just perform catharsis, which is basically catharsis. I don't know how to explain that one. You basically, you allow yourself to move and emote anything that feels trapped in you. So it could mean laughing. It could mean crying. It could mean dancing. It could mean twerking. It could mean twirling. It could mean thrashing. It could mean a tantrum. So basically the idea meaning that you might have parts of you wound up inside and they need to unwind in order for you to release this energy, the shadow, the shadow work energy. And Osho, who, yes, is controversial if you watch that Netflix documentary, said, and I highly believe this, that in the West versus the East, it's much easier for people born in the East to sit on a meditation cushion and meditate because they don't have so much pent-up repressed emotions like we do in the West. And in the West, there's a lot of pent-up emotions. And because of it, he highly recommends that Westerners start with catharsis before venturing to get on a mat. Now you can do yoga as well. Movement yoga will also help pull out some of that dormant energy, but catharsis is a really fast way to do it. And he has music to go with this. If you're not a fan of him, you could simply just turn on a music and dance to it and let yourself move however you feel drawn to move and scream. If you feel drawn to scream and cry, if you feel drawn to cry and you know, some people might not feel comfortable doing that because they live in an apartment building and you have neighbors do it in the shower, go to a swimming pool, do it underwater. No one can hear you screaming underwater. You might, you know, you can, there are ways and places for you to thrash and scream and cry and just get out that stuck energy that don't involve necessarily getting kicked out of an apartment building. Yeah. And the thing I love about catharsis is that it it is spontaneous. And we have, especially if you're neurodivergent, I'm not going to, not going to lie about this. There's a lot of masking of like, like stimming as a great example of both autistic and people who are most neurodivergent people stem, which is this form of energy that wants to just come out of your body, right? It's a repetitive thing. It's a calming thing. It's a whatever. It's a lot of different things, but that spontaneous movement, a lot of us are taught to not do that at all. Like it's not acceptable or socially acceptable. And what you start to recognize with catharsis is that like, your body is so fucking good when you allow your body intelligence to come through your body is so good at releasing this energy spontaneously as long as you don't hinder it from happening 
right? And so what, what starts to happen is that it, your body starts to get trained for things like Kriyas, which is like on the other hand, the other side of this spontaneous expulsion of energy, right? Like first it starts with catharsis, which is the, you know, spontaneous movement and a release of trapped energy. And then it becomes this spontaneous release of flowing energy of like really high energy, which is what a Kriya is. Like you laugh uncontrollably and you can't stop and there's nothing you can do to stop that. And, and I've seen people do Kriyas where you spontaneously create yoga poses in the, in the shape of animals. Like, you know, there's all sorts of different ways and, and, and being able to hone that at the catharsis level then allows you for energy to just spontaneously move through your body in much higher frequencies, which is a fucking awesome experience. Like a laughing yeah. Kriya is like orgasmic it, Kriya, like you get Anna. What, when, whenever I see someone who has like a twitching eye, eyelid, like their eye, like they have a nervous twitch and their eyelid just contracts. I want to be like, dude, go lock yourself in a room for an hour with catharsis and you will never twitch that eyelid again. You know, if you're listening and you do twitch, let me just say, it's probably some energy trapped. Yep. Yeah. Awesome. I wanted us about the catharsis is it could very well quite possibly be that some psychosomatic illnesses, not all illnesses, and I'm not diagnosing anything, but maybe some psychosomatic body pain be because of trapped energy. So catharsis could be really good for that. Another thing to keep in mind is I knew a woman when I was living in India who was morbidly obese, extremely high BMI, and not that the goal in life is to lose weight. And that's not everyone's goal, but in this particular person's life story. She started doing dynamic meditation. She did dynamic meditation for, I don't know what, 60 days. She lost all the excess body weight. And she said it was not because she started exercising. It was because she released all the trapped emotion. And because she released all the trapped emotion, she lost all the weight because the emotion was in the weight, was in the body fat, and which is fascinating. It is. And that's exactly what I was talking about with the guy who hasn't eaten in 24 years. He looks overweight because his body is still like the emotion, the way that the emotional body and the physical body interact is 100%, not 100%, I won't say that. There's obviously a physical aspect to that, but the emotional body is more capable of storing and that storage can quickly become from etheric, right? So from in the unseen to the scene, to the actual body itself. And even if you haven't eaten in 24 years, you may still look a little overweight because you're still holding on to stuck emotions or behavior patterns or any of these different things. Another shadow work practice would be removing your hindrances, which we talk about in another episode where we talk about the 10 hindrances. That would be belief in permanent personality, doubt, attachment to rights and rituals, attachment to sense desires, the list goes on. But similarly, like there are in Buddhism, the 10 paramis, the 10 like the 10 good things to rise for in the light work, there are the 10 hindrances to get over, which we could classify as shadow work. Right, right. Um, and, and, go ahead, Chris. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say something about journaling. I think of, the thing is, is that we may, you, you may be like, if you're, if you're like me and you like to categorize things, you may be like, okay, well, in some cases, shadow work practices that we're talking about are techniques right that are aiming to to do whatever and others are physical techniques like like journaling can be you can use journaling for light work you can journal all your affirmations right or you can journal your deepest darkest thing and you can do automatic writing and just get all of your repressed emotion out and do it through your writing 
right? Or I do art therapy with myself now. I do that a lot where I'm just like, I draw whatever wants to come out of my body and it's a form of emotion and it, and it, it conveys this very deep experience and I'm processing it. And every hour, every minute that I spend on that piece of art is a minute in which I am transforming my shadow into, into free energy again. That's the way I kind of think of it. And I think that journaling is very useful for that because ultimately shadow is like a it's like an overlay that happens right it's like instead of having a rose colored glasses it's like having dark colored glasses right and if all of that energy we know we've talked multiple times about energy being trapped in the body and you know with energy being trapped in the body shadow work is ultimately trying to liberate the trapped energy in the body and that energy is trapped by beliefs that energy is trapped by names and labels and trauma and memory and all these different things and journal can help you to to release the attachment that you have to this energy because ultimately there's a lot of trapped energy that sits in our subconscious that we're not aware of and it hasn't come up and bubbled up to the surface yet but there's a lot of stuff that we do have access to and we're and it's serving us still or we think okay. it's serving us still right and the more that we can get rid of our attachment to it and process it and transmute it out of our auras, get it out of our systems, get it out of our body, then it just becomes free energy that we get to use again. You know, it's like, it's like, oh shit. Instead of having this entire like fucking arm that's dedicated to, you know, self-hatred, you know, because my parent told me that I was a piece of crap. Actually now my arm can be useful right? Like I've transmuted that. I've gotten rid of my attachment to that, that trauma. I've, I've transformed it. I've processed it through writing it in a journal. And now that arm is useful again and I can use it. And now I have, and so yeah, yeah. <laughs> now I have 20 arms is what I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. And a, a really great how-to for shadow work and journaling is to like get a piece of paper and write at the top of the page, the reason I don't love myself is And then just like catharsis, you let that pen write anything, even if the pen says absolutely stupid stuff, because I have brown eyes, because I'm wearing blue shorts, because I live in this zip code, because I was born in this country, because I weigh this much. You just let that pen go and that will help you pull up all the stuff and really look at it. Another thing you can do is if you're a goal setter, a manifester, and you're not getting the thing you're manifesting, you know, you could say the reason why I don't yet have my dream job or the reason I believe I don't deserve my dream job is, and again, catharsis, let the pen run, let the pen just write, try not to censor or restrict anything that comes out of the hand. And it will write down a lot of stuff. And you might be confronted with some of your shadow beliefs that you didn't even know were there. So combining catharsis with journaling is a great way to take away the veil separating you from your unconscious shadow beliefs it gives you access it gives you access Access. yeah it gives you access so that you can then increase your awareness of it you might not be able to process it as soon as you get access to it because your subconscious and your shadow is just like hey here's your laundry list of shit to process this week and then you gain your awareness of it and then you process it out and maybe you process in a different way And that's, and those are all, you know, for me, whenever I'm in a shadow process, I always just say, how do I, how do I get access to it? How do I increase my awareness of it in my life? And then how do I process it the fuck out of my body? Right. So next we're going to talk about dark work practices. Now, this is the part of the episode where if you are a very sensible, logical person, we might lose you now. (laughs) 
<laughs> and for those of you who are a little more open-minded, continue. No, I, I hope everyone listens to it. But I mean, if someone starts talking about demons and entities and implants and hell holes and curses, I, 10 years ago, probably would have turned the episode off because I would have been like, what the fuck are these girls on to? Yeah. But knowing what I know now, I would get out my notepad and take notes. <laughs> yeah, because to be honest, like I've, I've worked with enough people at this point and I've done shadow work with them and I've done light work with them. And then there's just this fucking other category in which you're like, it's inexplicable shit that is showing up in these people's lives and they cannot, it is like a monkey on their back, right? I've had it in my case too. And you're just like, what the fuck? Like, why do you, why are you always getting sick in this case? Or why are you always doing that? Like yeah. there, there are just things that cannot be explained from past trauma right or light work or there's no there's literally nothing that can explain it from what has happened in your life or even in your past life like you've just my, acquired some shit and you got to get rid of it well here's a good example my daughter was in a really bad mood today we went to a restaurant she was in a terrible foul mood and I, it wasn't like her and like halfway through our meal i'm like she's got an implant on her <laughs> so i removed the implant and she was better. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, before we start talking about dark work practices, I want to give a little bit of an example of how dark work practice became so true to me that like, I can't deny it anymore. And I talk about this briefly in the shaman episode with Robbie, but Robbie was the first one to teach us about entity attachments and implant attachments. And she told me that she was going to be working on me one weekend. And I felt her working on my body. Basically, she can remotely remove entity attachments, implants from your body. And I told my husband, Robbie's working on me. He like was like, okay, it's Saturday morning. She's working on you. Where do you feel her working on you? And I said it was an octopus-shaped black, dark thing on my back at the root of my, at my, my sacrum, my tailbone. And fast forward, Robbie confirmed she was removing an implant off of me. It was the shape of a squid that was, she said, was on my back root chakra, same exact place I saw it. And it was shaped like a squid with its tentacles going up. Exactly. Same animal, same place, same everything. It's like, what, what more proof did I possibly need or get that there truly was an energy attachment on me? Because as soon as she took it off, I also started to feel so much better. So that's my story. And I truly am a, a believer. Buddha says, don't believe it because anyone says it's true. Believe it because you experience it to be true. Like I experienced it to be true. Maybe someone listening has also experienced some sort of energy, like they say, a dark cloud weighing over you, a film over you. Like you just feel like you're just not right. Like I had a friend who just did not feel right for a few years and I was working on her and I'm like, she has a curse. She has a curse. There is a fucking curse on this woman and I can't, I don't know how to take it off. So I sent her to my shaman, our shaman to get it removed. She took it off. And then she started, she said, she texted me back. She goes, I'm not sure if I believe in all that curse stuff, but I'm suddenly singing and I haven't sang in 10 years. And she just started singing again. Yep. Anyways. Yep. yep. And I, and I love that story. And I don't know if you want to tell this, but the story of you getting the, the ghost that you picked up in Auschwitz off of you. Oh God. <laughs> oh, she committed suicide by throwing herself onto the electric fence, got on me. And I had to go to a shaman in Nepal to take it off. That's a, that's a story for yeah. another episode. For me, I feel like in some ways I'm like 
my intuition is particularly tuned to dark things. I have found that I, I can't remember the first time that I believed in them. There was probably when Anna and I were doing work on the book that she wrote on the cycle of joy that she channeled from Archangel Michael, and it was about implants. But then I also started to see really weird things. Like for me, I was going to talk about portals and, and as, as an example, because there are a bunch of different types of portals. There are portals that you create purposely. There are portals that kind of do whatever, but portals are like wormholes to different places. And I remember, and this is what keeps coming to mind. So apparently I'm going to tell this story is that like, I had this clock that I got from my grandmother, right? And it had been in my family for many, many years, things like that. And I brought the, I brought the clock into my house. It was in storage for a very long time and then it ended up in my house. I think that maybe my parents brought it over. And I was like, I took one look at this clock and I said, there is something fucking wrong with that clock. Like, I don't know what it is, but I think for a lot of people who are sensitive or a lot of other people, they'd be like, oh, that clock gives me the creeps or I don't like that. Get it out of the house, things like that. And I was like, no, there's something else going on here. And what I recognized was that there was a portal in the clock. And the portal was basically open up to all the ancestral bullshit of my family. And it was just releasing it in like it was a two way so it could take it in so it could add to itself, but then it could also spew it out. Right. And so then I that's I didn't know how but I just closed the portal and I was like, that was like my first experience closing the portal and I was like, Oh, shit, okay, I can do this. And I know how to do this. And there are portals on so many antiques and there are portals on so many you go into a fucking museum oh my god there are so many portals on so many different items but they can also exist on people they're basically Cervix is a huge portal when you give yeah. birth every woman who gives birth is opening a huge portal yeah exactly exactly <laughs> there's you know, that too there is there is so you know we've talked about implants I'll, I'll save hell holes the the brief explanation of hell holes is that they are what i was talking about at the very beginning you go to places in the collective unconscious and you you go to women's sexuality. I'll give that as a great example. I literally just went there yesterday. Women's sexuality has an entire spectrum from the light creative part of it that's just continually and spontaneously creating Shakti and energy from, a, from women's sexuality. And then it runs the entire span through the kind of murky shadow work of an individ, individual trauma that happens through people's lives and tied up energy to the dark shit like the really really dark stuff like the stuff that is like i don't even want to describe it because i don't want to take anyone there right now but let me just say that it's like it just it it has a lot of stuff that needs to be processed and light workers one of the things that light workers do if you've ever heard this is that we go into these dark spaces and we try to shine light on them because they don't belong to anybody anymore. The shadow work, those traumas belong to people and people are alive and capable of, of transmuting them within their lifetime. But the dark, this darkest part of women's sexuality is literally old stuff that nobody knows who owns it anymore, but it has a life of its own, right? Mm -hmm. And so like that is, that's kind of what we're talking about when we talk about hell holes is like these thoughts and emotions that have just been there for so long that they have a mind of their own. Right. Like we have a friend who was a light worker and she was working on a sex worker who had a demon trapped in her groin, like an entity attachment of perversion that she got from her job. Yeah. Remember? I mean, that's an, that's an example, but you know, yeah, I mean, there's just, there's just so much out there, you know, like people, I mean, I don't want to be superstitious. I don't want to scare anyone, but like, I personally don't watch porn. 
And one of the reasons I don't watch porn is because I don't know what entity attachments are out there and I don't want to bring them into my world. Yep. 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 Absolutely. And you know, you talk, you hear about all these boys, you know, these young boys and they've been watching porn now and at 18 years old, they're sexually impotent. They can't get it up. And it's, oh, it's because of porn addiction. There might be a scientific porn addiction reason to it. But if you ask me or you ask some, some light worker or energy worker, they could have picked up an entity attachment watching all that porn, you know, the violent porn, there could be a violent entity attachment that then, that then is stuck sticking on that guy's sex chakra. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's just, there's just, you don't know what you're doing when you go into dark places on the internet. Let's just say. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, and they really do. It sits all over the place. It sits, it sits, it sits in podcasts. That's why before we even started talking about dark practices, I again, put every single person who's listening to this, who is receptive, an has an octahedron on them right now. Right. I did that as well. So we're good. <laughs> so, okay. So we're talking about all these different things. We've got entity attachments. We could say that those are different, you know, those are different types of demonic energies. And, and okay, we have apparent truth and we have subtle truth. So on the apparent level, these things look like dark, evil, bad, whatever you want to call it. In the grand scheme of things, I believe they are part of the whole and they are out there to either teach us lessons or they're just trapped energy with nowhere to go. And so they cling to each other like glue. And it's just like, it's like, let's say sexual perversion energy. No one wants to own it. No one wants to transmute it. No one wants to love it. So it all gets together and creates this dark entity attachment. It's not like there's a bad guy out there and you know, it's not like good and evil. It's not like that. It's more, it's like, here's some sticky energy. This is the flavor of the sticky energy. And this is what the sticky energy will do to you when it sticks on you. So I don't personally believe in like black and white, good and evil, those kind of terms. I believe it all just belongs to source and it's just different types of energy that has gotten trapped. And some of it does have malicious intent because it was created in a malicious way or it was created in a perverted way. But ultimately it's just energy and all energy ultimately can be neither created nor destroyed. It just can be changed. So I just yeah. want to put it out there that none of the stuff we're talking about is necessarily quote unquote evil. It's just, it's just a form of trapped energy. Yeah. And, and I think that the, another way of saying that, which is, which is like, it depends on how close you're looking. If you're looking over the span of all of your different lifetimes, if you're looking at the entire matrix from the computer outside the matrix, there is no such thing. Like it's all just duality. It's all just the dark and the light. And right. it's protons and neutrons and negative yeah. and positive. It's all the same thing. Right. But like from within a realm of us, do you want sticky sexual impotent energy on your aura or not? <laughs> exactly. And, and, and do you want, you know, to get sick because of whatever? No, you don't. You don't want to lose your body because of any of this shit. So that's why we're here. Right. And that's why light workers do that work. It just depends on how close you're looking, like what your purview is. Right. So, okay. So some of the entities that we just talked about were just like entity attachments, which are like, you could say spirit, or they can have a name. They cannot have a name. They can belong to the collective unconscious. Then you have portals, which Chris touched on. You can have implants, which are kind of like cycled in your aura and they cycle up. So I remember when Chris and I first started learning about this work, Chris and I had it in our phone, a timer to remind each other, time to remove an implant. And yes. it was every 21 days for one year, we pulled, that was what we were guided to do. We pulled implants up out of us. Yep. For then, a whole year yeah. because they they were so deep in us. They kept just cycling back up. And even now, if I'm in a really bad mood, I'll be like, wait a minute, do I have an implant? And lo and behold, I usually do. Yeah, 
Yep. And whenever I'm going through a process, I do it every day. If I can remember, it's hard sometimes right. like what we said at the very beginning, it's hard sometimes when you're in the middle of a process to get your support team and to get the things you need. You sometimes forget. And yeah. I think the implants give you temporary am to amnesia. Oh, they definitely do. <laughs> okay. So we've introduced you to this whole idea of like, you might have entity attachments. You might have implant attachments. You ha might have portal attachments on you. Like you might have this stuff on you. What the hell? Oh, uh, suddenly a light's going on. Why I've never been able to quit this, quit smoking or why, you know, I always do X, Y, or Z or why it feels like I have a shadow over my head, whatever. I have a block, you know, a block. I just don't know what. So we're going to give you three simple ways that you can remove dark attachments off of your aura, off of your aura on your own. So the first one, which is a very easy one, is just asking Archangel Michael to take it away. Sit quietly. Do not touch anyone else. And you just sit quietly and just pray and ask Archangel Michael and all of the angels that serve the light to please take off any entity curse, implant, portal, anything on you that is not serving you and is serving the darkness, just ask them to please remove it and give it to the light. That's a very simple way to do it. Yep. And it usually works. Yep. And if you're not of the angel bent, maybe you're more of a witch, Hecate. Hecate is the one that I often call on. I usually call on both of them, to be perfectly honest, because uh, she does exorcisms with me. And so I, whenever I'm like, I'm like, hey, Archangel Michael, sometimes I get called to say, oh, Hecate, she's going to help All me right. with this exorcism. Right. Another way to get rid of it, Chris? Another way to get rid of it is the feed your demon process. And we have described this a couple of different times, but the basic idea is that demons that you have on you are usually serving some sort of purpose in the sense that they have a lesson to give you and they can be transformed into self-love or they can be transformed into love and they can become an ally if only you listen to them and you kind of fulfill their needs in the imaginary arena right so as opposed to like if you have a demon, like I just have been dealing particularly with a demon of, of body betrayal, right? So I had another body betrayal demon that came up the other day and I said, okay, what do you want? What is, what is the thing that you need for me to do? And they said, I want you to die of every single disease that you're afraid of dying of. And so in my head, in my imaginary field, I did that. I gave it exactly what I needed to. And in a hundred different ways I died for this demon. And then I melted in this puddle and it just ate up every single one of those deaths, every single one that was coming through. And then, and then after that happened, what ends up happening is I go straight to the transformation. As soon as I fed it, you know, I, I give it what it wants. I give it what it needs. And then after that, it transformed into a pair of wings that I could then take. And, and it basically was an immune system. It was like super boosting my immune system. And you know what? Like, that that is that's one way that a feed your demon process can happen and it, it's basically you know anna do you want to expand well we'll put the steps by steps to this process in the show notes because there's a whole book on it but there's an article that does it as well but yeah it's essentially stopping to run from the thing that you're afraid of and just confront and give it what it wants and in doing that it usually leaves because it's yep. like thanks you gave me what i wanted yep yeah yep. so i'll i'll go into three the third and fourth way to get rid of these things. So the first one we said was 
the first one we said was, you know, giving it to God, giving it to Archangel Michael. Number two would say the, the feed your demon exercise, which is great. That's also a great shadow work process. The third one is hiring someone you trust, like a shaman or a light worker, an energy worker who's well-versed in this, they can take it off for you. That's what Chris and I did for the first few years of us understanding this before we even got into taking it off ourselves. We would go to Robbie and she would take it off of us because we did not feel like we were equipped to do it. Yep. And then the fourth way is actually meditation. So basically when you're doing deep work, we talk about that analogy of like the silo where there's boulders and rocks and, and pebbles and sand. And like sometimes you feel like a, a boulder bubbled up and something really big has bubbled up. That wound has bubbled up for you to confront and to see. Sometimes that thing that bubbled up, that boulder is actually an implant or it's actually an entity. And by doing your, your practices, your dark work or your light work or your deep meditation, you are dismantling it. We can think of it like a knot. Like if you want to think of an entity as a hairball, <laughs> a hairball in the sink, by doing all your different dark, I mean, by doing all your shadow work and all your light work, you're slowly, slowly unraveling that knot and you'll eventually untangle it fully and it will release. That's a much slower form, slower way to do it. Right. Wouldn't you say, Chris? I would definitely say that that's the case because it's a lot slower. Like it can take years. <laughs> it, it really can. And then in the process, like you start to uncover parts of it that feel difficult and can impede the way there's just so many possibilities the longer it takes to process things that sometimes that's a worthwhile thing and sometimes it's like it, almost all of them are like onions and you have to keep peeling them back but usually with entity attachments and with any of the dark stuff it's kind of a one and done like once you get it off you you're done you're done yeah. So like, if you want to save time, just fucking get that shit off of you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, and yeah, exactly. Yeah. And one more thing we want to throw in here is Archangel Michael gave me this message once, which was that when we are walking around, the only chakra facing the heavens is the crown chakra. Mm -hmm. But when you're lying down in bed, all the chakras are facing up. So because of that, when you go to sleep at night and you make the intention that as you sleep, you are going to visit heaven in your dream realm, whatever you perceive heaven to be, you are therefore then facing upwards, you are going to be getting restoration and to all your chakras. So like, for example, if normally you do a deep dark practice or even a shadow work process, and it takes you a couple days, five days to regain your bearings and feel harmony again in your body. If you go to sleep at night and you make the intention, I'm going to sleep in heaven, it will speed it up so fast that by the next morning, you're going to feel so much better. He explained it to me using the chakra horizontal vertical thing. I don't know how that necessarily works because I don't believe heaven is a real place. So I don't really understand it. And if someone listening understands what he meant when he told me that, send me a DM because I'd love to know. But that's just what he told me to explain it to me. He just said, when you sleep, all chakras face up, it's more restorative to the human body. Make the intention to sleep in heaven. It's going to accelerate your processing and harmonizing. Ugh. I just got so much when you said that. I'm like completely overwhelmed. I like understand so like I literally have had a block recently because of all of this. And it's interesting you say that like a really quick side note, guys, is that, you know, in feng shui, as well as in different types of dowsing, you're always supposed to sleep with your head to the north because it, it it's the most restorative type of sleep that you can have. And I'm like, oh, I literally am I'm excited. I just just in terms of like 
having your crown chakra open to the north is actually the best way that you can have because it is restorative. It's 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 heading in the direction that can and that makes a lot of sense. So and and traditionally glad that makes sense upwards. to you because I don't I mean traditionally heaven is upwards. So I don't yeah. really know what what he meant, but that's what he told me and that's yep. what I do. So anyways. Yep. Cool. So okay moving right along now we're gonna go to agape. Sweet. All right. So in agape let's start first with a little bit of Greek history. So in ancient Greece, there were four different words for love, which I love. There was eros, which is sexual, passionate love. And eros is like the push-pull. And with eros always comes suffering. Then you have philos, which means the warm affection you have for friendship, which is like the love I have for my friends. Agape is that familiar love, general goodwill for all beings. And the reason why I wanted to share that in this episode is because if you're doing all these dark practices and shadow and light work, like then what? What's the point? Well, you take all that goodness you got and then you share it with the world. So agape is like the outpouring of love that you have for other beings. What I love about that is that Archangel Michael also told me this little message, which I think is beautiful. He says, you know, like on earth, we have these different kind of relationships. We have parasite relationships where one being takes from another being, like that's a parasite relationship. And then you have symbiosis where both beings gain from it. For example, the crocodile who lets the birds pick the food out of his teeth. That's a symbiotic relationship because the birds get free food and then the crocodile gets free dental work, right? So there's like relationships like that where you have symbiosis, you have parasitic relationships. Well, Archangel Michael designates angelic relationship. He calls it angelic symbiosis. And what he says by that is that every time that you connect with your own guardian angel or the archangels, you are not only connecting with them, you are then making it easier for every other human on earth to connect to their own guardian angel. It is a type of symbiosis we don't have on this planet in the physical form. Every time you're connecting to that higher light, that higher being, you're making it easier for everyone else to connect with their own. So it's like a vertical and horizontal type of symbiosis. You're helping everyone when you do that. And I love that because it means that every time you are connecting, let's not even call it angels. Let's just call it agape with love, all the stuff that these angels embody you are making it easier for everyone else on this planet to connect with that kind of love, with that kind of energy. So in essence, every time you are healing yourself, you are in fact healing the world and it has this like trickle effect. All right, everybody. We've just talked to you now about light work practices, about shadow practices and about dark practices. And the fourth thing we want to talk about today is agape. But guess what? This episode is running very much over time. So we are going to save agape for its own episode. Agape is universal love for all mankind. Thank you for listening to this episode of This Spiritual Fix. We hope that you enjoyed it. Please, please give us a review on iTunes. It helps people find us. And remember, humility, gratitude, acceptance, done. Are you afraid of turning into a hungry ghost after you die? If you're anything like me, the thought of becoming one of the many wandering spirits left over on this plane of existence after you die may keep you awake at night. Fear not. 
The This Spiritual Fix podcast has your back when it comes to graceful transitions into the afterworld. We have put together a package on helping you develop your lucid dreaming techniques, which, according to historic spiritual texts, is one of the best known ways to transition safely, with no delays, into the collective unconscious afterworld. Visit our store on our website, thisspiritualfix.com forward slash shop to purchase our dream package. For a limited time only, you can also use Die Well as a code for 15% off. Results are guaranteed and you are welcome to send us an email from the afterworld if you have a less than satisfactory experience. Let me tell y'all a riddle. There are four girls and four apples in a basket. Every girl takes an apple, yet one apple remains in the basket. How is this possible? The answer, one girl took the basket. She took the last apple while it was in the basket. Sometimes all it takes is a perspective shift. This is my specialty, y'all, and I am opening up two spots in the next two months for dedicated journeyers to work with me to find peace, purpose, and most importantly, perspective. In these journeys, we co-create a curriculum that suits your current blocks, goals, and needs, and we use all the tools, shadow work, books, fiction, remote viewing, intuition, meditation, guided journeys, energy healing, dreaming techniques, you name it, we do it. And all to achieve a commonly held set of objectives. And if you're interested in hearing more, Book a free call with me at www.chriswilty.com forward slash discover. 